0: Welcome to the Church 214 podcast. We're glad that you've joined us today. We hope that you enjoyed today's message. And if you'd like to find out more about our church, please visit our website at church214.org. All right. I know it's rude to interrupt, but pause your conversations for then and pick them back up at the end of church. What? Well, yeah, I got to get this out of me. (laughs) My husband has learned that between my sisters and I, we just constantly interrupt each other. So, you're welcome. That's all right. You married into it, babe. Um, I just can't believe this is our last night here. It's... I'm excited for what's next, but it's kind of bittersweet, because I feel like this has been an intimate space for our church. Um, Our time here was doubled what we expected, but there has been so much freedom and changed lives in this room, in this intimate setting, and I am so thankful for that, Um, and I know there is more to come at Oak, but I feel like this is what our church needed for a season. Um, Coming off of 2020 and a really hard year, uh, we just, we needed some intimacy, some family time, and so I'm so thankful for that, and it's, God has just one more gut punch for us before we leave this place, so hold on, because he's not done, and we're going out with a bang tonight. (laughs) This this series um i feel like the lord crafted such unique messages for the four of us uh heidi, chris, ryan, and i but it was so it's been so cool to see how he's woven them together and how he shows us that he works in every single part of our lives just like Blake was praying over all of us and my my heart in preparing for this message is that the desire of my heart would become the desire of his heart and that hit the nails hits the nail on the head from where chris left us last week um, and i have i when i prepare for a message i often doubt the word god gives me and i get it like months in advance but i need lots of confirmation uh and last week i was talking to heather before church and she was just asking me to tell her a little bit about what I felt the Lord gave me for my message. And I was like, yeah, I think I'm going to go um, with the book of Ruth. And, but I was like, I'm still not sure yet. I'm, I don't know. And I gave her like some other options that I felt. And then Chris is up here preaching, and he mentions Ruth. And Heather just looks back at me with a smile, like, there you go. That's what you needed. So I am excited because this is a very underrated book in the Bible. I feel like um, if Hollywood would get a hold of it today, it would be a Hallmark movie, like a Hallmark Christmas movie that I am guilty of watching, and they're all the same (laughs) storyline. Thomas is shaking his head at me because he hates them, but it's like the desperate girl goes back, goes to a town, and then she marries the boy who is saving the Christmas tree farm, Whatever you want to do, there's so many different ways that they twist the same storyline, and there's new ones every year. Yes, you would. <laughs> the Christmas special is coming up, or the July Christmas special is coming up for you just in time, Melissa. But this book actually has so much depth to it, and I feel like we miss, um, we've missed that, the depth in what God did in the lives of the people. In this book. Um, so it's actually an appendix of the book of Judges, and it was more than likely written by Samuel before David's reign as king of Israel. And when I was researching and studying, um, that's said because of how the book ends with um, the line of David. And so when the time when judges ruled um, was a pretty dark time for Israel, there was no set king. And so it was kind of like the judges were like military leaders, and so there were these military leaders ruling over the land, and there was a famine in Israel. And so the book opens with a guy, I'm going to probably butcher his name, and I listened to it on the Bible app to prep myself so many times. (laughs) His name's Elimelech, and his wife Naomi, and then they had two sons, Malan and Kilion, and they left their home in Bethlehem, and they moved to Moab, and it's interesting that they moved to Moab because the Moab and the Israelites were not friends. They didn't like each other. And so while they were there, Amlek ends up dying and he leaves his family leaderless in a foreign land. And then both of the sons end up marrying Moabite women and their names are Orpha and Ruth. But then 10 years later, the sons end up dying as well. And so poor Naomi, she's left without her sons or her husband, and we're going to pick up in verse 6 on the rest of their story. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughter-in-laws prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-laws, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-laws, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness, as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. And then she kissed them goodbye, and they wept aloud. And they said to her, We will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons? Who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. And even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters. It is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand had turned against me. At this, they wept aloud. And then Orpha kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Naomi is distraught. How she thought her life was going to turn out, it crumbled before her eyes. She lost her husband. She lost her sons. And then she's left with nothing but the clothes on her back. And she's become bitter. She's like, girls, this is worse for me than it is for you. I've lost more than you have. And we can see that she starts to harden her heart towards God. But how often is this us? When things don't go our way and our plans crumble before our eyes, don't we get a little bitter? We get frustrated with God because it wasn't supposed to be this way, and it's worse for me than it is for them. And we become content with our circumstances, and then we take on the spirit of self-pity. And so we start throwing ourselves pity parties because it's worse for me than it is for them, and we're going to stay sulking in our pit. Church, self-pity keeps us from having the humble hearts. It's associated with pride, in my eyes, the spirit of pride. And so it keeps us from asking God to change things. It blinds us from seeing the places where he's actually moving in our lives. It, it It steals our peace. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And so it steals our peace. It steals our joy. It steals us from seeing the goodness of the Father and the ways that He works in every single detail, whether we believe it or not. Church, God, He shows up and He's always working and He's always moving. Verse 15. if even death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. Good girl. The, this verse just always, it blows me away because I think it's kind of like a bumper sticker verse that people probably use for life. Like, yep, I'm going to do what God asked me to do. I'm going to go. I'm going to do it. And then when it comes to it, you probably don't go. And if you're like me, you probably don't do it. (laughs) And like, if my mother-in-law asked me to leave everything behind, I love you dearly, Melissa, unless we're going to a beach, I'm not going. (laughs) Like, if I had to leave, like, the comfort of... Well, if we're in their situation, the kids don't exist. anyways. (laughs) I should have known that was coming. But Ruth is like, I'm coming with you. She knows this won't be a fun adventure. She is a foreigner. She's an enemy of the people of Israel, and she's going into their land. That's a very vulnerable, scary place to be. She's a grieving widow, and she easily could have told Naomi, you know what? Yeah, you have nothing left for me. You're right. I'm going to stay here. I'm going to stay where it's comfortable. I'm going to marry a Moabite man, not an enemy of my people. I'm going to stay with the gods I have known my whole life, the the idols that my parents have raised me to worship. But instead she says, no, I'm going with you. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. I'm going to leave behind everything I know. And I'm going to follow you into a place where it's probably going to be really uncomfortable for me. And Lord, may we have that loyalty and selfless devotion to you. Because Ruth probably only knew this God from being married into this family. And from what we know, she's not completely devoted to him yet. But she's devoted to the vows that she made to Naomi's son. And that's why she's picking up and leaving with her and not leaving her behind. She was committed to Naomi's son. And Naomi had nothing left to offer her, but she still chooses to stay committed to the vow she made to her. And Jesus, he offers us everything. And I don't think we would do the same for him. A friend was telling me, A question that Barbara asked at Living Room Nights a couple weeks ago, and I'm kind of glad I wasn't there because if I was put on the spot, I would have been ashamed of my answer. But you get it now anyways, and it's recorded on a podcast. So (laughs) if Jesus showed up here tonight and he said, come and follow me and leave everything behind that you know, would you be able to do it? And I have been battling that question for the last two weeks as I prepared for this message because... I'm still at a place where 100%, I don't know if I could. Last week, I brought our son to the altar, and I was like, okay, God, I surrender to him to you. I trust you. I trust your plan for his life. But the world, it doesn't. it doesn't want us to the, the devil. He doesn't want us to live in that surrender to Jesus. He doesn't want us to go into those uncomfortable places because he knows there's victory that comes with us into those uncomfortable places. And Ruth's family, they probably thought she was crazy for leaving and going to a place that was full of her enemies. And they probably thought she was nuts for following Naomi's God, our God, instead of the idol's that she was raised with her whole life, and that she knew. And as I was reading about her, I wonder if she felt torn at all. Like how we often feel the tension between the world and Jesus. I wonder if Ruth experienced that. Because it's easier to follow the plan that the the, the world lays out for us. And like the happily ever after story, like, you go to college, you get the job, you meet the boy, you get married, you have kids, you get the house, blah, 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 blah. I would like to meet someone that that is exactly how it went for them. Because that is not what happens. The world makes us think we're entitled to this, this happily ever after story. And I think that's where we miss it in, in Ruth's story is we think, oh, it's just a happily ever after because of We'll get to the part where Boaz comes and redeems them. It's not that way. She, put, she looked like a fool to the closest people to her. And most of the time in the world that we live in, when we choose Jesus, we look like a fool. But the Lord wants to ask you this question. Are you willing to look like a fool to the rest of the world and choose Jesus? Or look good to the rest of the world and a fool in the eyes of the king? And that is, that convicts me so deeply. (laughs) And I think it's a choice that we have to make daily. Because I think of the pastors who have gone to prison over the last year for Jesus Or martyrs who have died because they've chosen to proclaim Jesus over their own lives. And the reality is that most of us in this room will probably never be faced with a choice that extreme, to choose Jesus. But there are daily things that we can do to leave everything we know behind and follow his plan and not choose the things of the world. And so church, are you willing to look like a fool And follow after the plans God has for your life. It's risky. It's uncomfortable. But Ruth shows us what it's like to go in an unknown place. So Ruth and Naomi, they arrive in Bethlehem. And our poor girl, Naomi, she's still stuck in her pit. (laughs) People were, like, excited to see her. They're like, Naomi, you're back. And her name means pleasant. She's like, nope, call me Mara, which means bitter. Because the Lord has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. And So Naomi is stuck having this pity party, and her and Ruth are probably starving because they've had no one providing for them. And so Ruth is like, I'm going to go into the field I'm going to pick up the leftover grain behind the people who are harvesting. And Naomi tells her, okay, yeah, go. That's probably a good idea. And God, being woven in the details of every plan. The field Ruth ends up working in belongs to a relative of her father-in-law who passed named Boaz. So chapter 2, verse 5. Boaz asked the overseers of his harvesters, who does the young woman belong to? The overseer replied, she's the Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She came into the field and has remained here from morning until now, except for a short rest in the shelter. So Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting, and follow along after the women. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you, and whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground. She asked him, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. How you left your father and mother in your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. And Ruth said, "May may I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord. She said, you have put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant. Though I do not have the standing of one of your servants, I love the vulnerability um, that is portrayed here, and how choosing to go with Naomi probably wasn't an uh, easy choice for Ruth. I, we just talked about that tension because they were both widowed, and they left every. She was leaving everything she had ever known, which is scary. Vulnerability is scary, and following Jesus isn't easy. But Boaz, he notices her, and it it makes me think of a vision that I've had where Jesus is like stooped down, and he's bandaging up people's wounds. And he notices the changes and the sacrifices that she made in her life. He notices that the things she left behind, and that this probably wasn't the life she pictured for herself, and his words are so kind and comforting to her. And I imagine that they were just what, they, what she needed to hear, like they're such tender words. Verse 12, may the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Ruth, you did a hard thing, but you will be rewarded. You made a sacrifice, but the God that you now follow, he's protecting you. Your entire life has changed. It's been flipped upside down, but your faithfulness and obedience is going to produce a great reward for you. Ruth, this might not be what you expected, but it will be far better than you ever have imagined. I I need to remind myself of those words. This might not be what you expected, but it's going to be far better than you have ever imagined. Thank you, Jesus. So Ruth goes home, and Naomi asked her what field that she went and worked in that day. And she told her she worked in the field of Boaz. And I imagine Naomi was, like, sparked with a little bit of hope in that moment because Boaz was one of their family's guardian redeemers or kinsmen redeemers, and a guardian redeemer was a legal term for a relative who has the obligation to care for a family member in serious need, and the description comes from the Hebrew word goel, meaning redeemer, and a goel was a male relative who cared for um, a deceased relative's possessions, and so it included the land, the house, the livestock, um, even the widow, And if the deceased had debts, the goel paid them. And if the deceased was childless, the goel would marry the widow and produce offspring who would carry on the name and the family lineage of the deceased man. And so when they came of age, those children would then get to inherit the land of the deceased man's property. And the possessions and the people were cared for by the goel And then they were termed um, to be redeemed then because they were cared for and taken over and um, there was a man like in charge of the family. But the Goel's responsibility was very sacrificial. They didn't get anything out of it typically because yeah, you have this land but then when the child comes of age, you give the land to them. And so this is what... um, Boaz ends up doing so that Naomi didn't have to sell the land that was her family's. Um, she com- Naomi comes up with a plan for Boaz to notice Ruth and after him seeing her her noble character and the other closest uh, guardian redeemer didn't want to take responsibility for a foreign immigrant which is crazy <laughs> to me. So then Boaz um, becomes the redeemer for Ruth and Naomi. And him and Ruth get married, and it ends like this. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And when he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. The woman said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life And sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you and who is better for you than seven sons, has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. And the women living there said, Naomi has a son. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Throughout the entire book of Ruth... God isn't mentioned as speaking, but the characters refer to him as Lord. And what I think is so special about this is that it is very, very evident that God is woven into the details of every single story. That he is the one who dictates the plans of how things work. His favor and blessing was upon Ruth. A woman who is not an Israelite, she was widowed, she obediently went into a foreign land, and from her womb is the grandfather of David. From as we know, comes the line whose line came our Redeemer Jesus. Her obedience, loyalty, and faithfulness to her mother in law. And leaving behind everything she knew to follow her changed her life. But it also changed our lives. And I I can't wait to meet her in heaven one day and be like, thank you. You changed everything for us. Yeah, God could have done it another way. But this is the way that he chose to do it. He chose a woman who is a foreigner who had lost everything to carry the grandfather of david i'm just i've just continued to be blown away by that her weakness along with her faithfulness and obedience was the catalyst for her life to change for our lives to change She was a widow. She had nothing without her husband in that time. It's not like she had a life insurance policy on him. That was probably her greatest weakness. And it changed her life because of her faithfulness. And church, our weakness laid at the feet of Jesus is the greatest catalyst for him to change our life. Our weakness, laid at the feet of Jesus, is the greatest catalyst for him to change our life. Nothing changes without Jesus. And us testifying of the change we experience because it causes Jesus to ignite hope in others. Naomi's heart, it was bitter towards God. She was stuck in a pit of self-pity. She thought her life was hopeless and ruined. And we witness her restored hope, her renewed life, because she witnessed the goodness of the Lord on their lives through Ruth's life. And when we don't hide our weakness and we walk in obedience to what God asks of us, we have the ability to be woven into the, the life change in other people's stories. Jesus is the only one who should be getting the glory. You don't get to give your testimony and get the glory. That is not how it works. (laughs) But our faith should be strengthened by seeing how he works in the lives of others. And I would love to think that I am Ruth in this story, but I'm not. And most of us probably are not. I'm usually Naomi, and my heart can start to harden towards God and become bitter. But God is so good to give me people in my life who are Ruth's, who kind of ignite my hope to keep going. Last November, um, I went through some pretty extensive fertility testing after we struggled to get pregnant for close to five years. And the end result was um, the doctor telling Thomas and I that my womb was not in a is not in pristine condition, and just to keep trying, which I was I was pissed because I was like, I've been trying for so long now. Don't tell me to keep trying. <laughs> and so our we have a few options if we so choose them, and one of them is surgery, and it wouldn't be a guaranteed. Uh, fix. He said, if anything, it could cause more damage. And so the same week of that appointment, um, either before or after church, Heather had shared a vision with me that she had. Um, And in her vision, I had a huge smile on my face and I was bouncing a four to six month old baby boy on my knee. And after what felt like devastating news, Her obedience and sharing that vision with me um, is what kept sparking my hope. As cycles came and went, and I experienced some of the worst pain I had ever been in, I would remind myself of that vision, and it sparked my hope, and I kept going. And on January 28th, um, I had experienced excruciating cramping and pain and I felt like I was in the early stages of labor, and my heart broke, because, and I was devastated because I would give anything to have that pain produce a child. And so that hopelessness that I thought I had put down, I felt myself like, starting to pick it back up, and over the next couple weeks, I was sliding down into this pit of self-pity, and one day, my sister and I were FaceTiming, and we were just having, like, a usual conversation. My dad was working on her bathroom. We were catching up, joking around, and then she got a group text co- from her friend group, and one of her friends said, is there anybody, do any of you know anybody who would be willing to take in a two-week-old baby boy with the intent to adopt him? And she's like, do you want me to give them your information? I was like, yes. Yes right now. She's like, don't you need to ask Thomas? He was sleeping. He had worked the night before. I was like, I'll ask him when he wakes up. It doesn't matter. Just send her my phone number right now. (laughs) And after days of uh, back and forth communication, we got to meet um, our sweet baby boy, Teddy. And I know that I know that I know that he is a miracle straight from heaven. Amen. But even when God is changing the plans, and they don't—that's not at all what we are expecting. That is not at all what we saw coming. We weren't even trying to adopt. He, it's, his aunt jokes that he's she's the stork that dropped him in our laps. But. Just this week, I was struggling with the fact that I'm not his birth mother. I was struggling that with that I don't know him well enough. And God, I don't know, like, what if he gets taken away from us? Like, I, I don't know if I trust the, this change in the plans. I don't know if I can handle, I don't know if I can handle this. And I was reminded that my weakness laid at his feet is the greatest catalyst for him to change everything. And I think about our weaknesses laid at his feet. The king of the world stepped down off of his throne. He looked our heavenly fathers in the eyes, and he said goodbye. And I can only imagine what that felt like. Because goodbyes, as temporary as they are, They bring a deep level of pain and grief. And I can't imagine having to send my child on a mission to save the world. And not being in his physical presence for 33 years. And knowing the pain that he would have to endure to save the rest of my beloved children. Church, the Prince of Peace, he stepped down off the throne. And he came into the world in the most vulnerable state as a crying, naked, newborn baby. Jesus, he grew into a boy. And he learned a trade from his earthly father. He obeyed his mother. He played in the yard. He grew into a man and performed signs and wonders and gained followers that were willing to follow him, but they did not fully surrender. He sat in the garden, and he pleaded and begged for another way. But there was no other way. This was God's plan. This was the fulfillment of the plan that he had been weaving throughout history to save the world. He carried a cross up a hill. He had stakes driven through his hands and feet. His side was pierced with a sword. He hung on a cross to die for you and to die for me. He surrenders his life so that you can come into the presence of the Lord again and be made holy and blameless. Jesus, he surrendered his life for you. And what do we need to do to do the same? be like, okay God, I trust this plan. I'm all right with it. I'm going to leave behind everything I know and I'm going to follow you. Or maybe you're sitting here tonight and your heart has been hardened towards God and you've become bitter and you can't see him working in the details because you, you have those blinders up and you just don't get it. There are some things in this life that you are just not going to get. You'll get the answers when you get to heaven. But he is good enough to trust. He is faithful enough to trust. We just sang about it earlier. He is the promise. He keeps his promises. Jesus dying on the cross is proof that he keeps his promises to us. And the little things that we get so, so caught up on, like, God, I thought you were going to do this. Come back to Jesus. That is his greatest, the greatest promise he could ever fulfill for us. And if it takes laying the little things back down at the cross day in and day out and be like, you know what, God, your plan for my life is way better than anything I could ever picture. Let those walls come down, let it crumble and break. His plan for your life is greater than you could ever imagine. He has an abundant and full life for you. And but it just takes laying those things down. I felt pretty strongly when I was preparing for this message that, um, that he wants to soften the bitter hearts. That he wants to stamp out the spirit of religion that keeps you from surrendering. But most of all, he just wants an intimate relationship with you. Because without Jesus, nothing changes. We can't take a step forward without him. It's like walking in a a circle. You're going to live the same desperate, broken, sad life without him. Jesus we we come before you lord and i i lay at your feet the times that i have picked up the spirit of self pity just this morning lord and i lay it at your feet and i ask that you would use my weaknesses to change my life to see you working in the smallest of details to not be scared when you ask me to step forward and i not know what ne- what's next jesus it's only you it's only you that causes our life to change and Lord, I pray for the hearts in this room who have, who have hardened and become bitter. Jesus, I just pray that they would explode in that, that hard rock that had been f- has been formed against them, Lord, that it would break off. That you would place inside of them a heart of flesh. We know that you do. Your word says that you do. You are faithful to keep your promises. And so I thank you for the places that you are hammering out in our lives where we have become stony and stubborn. Lord, thank you that we can feel again. Jesus, we lay those stones at your feet and we ask that you would change our lives. Lord, We are thankful for the power of our testimonies and how you are working in our lives daily to build our stories. Give us eyes to see that. Give us eyes to see you in the smallest of details. Lord, when we all wake up tomorrow morning, may our first thought be, Lord, thank you for another day. Thank you for breath in my lungs. Lord, I want to spark change in other people's lives for the work that you have done in the mind. God, you're just so, so good to us. We lay it at your feet, Jesus. As soon as